Hello, and welcome to the Loft Church weekly podcast in Amarillo, Texas. Each week, we seek to challenge, encourage, equip, and empower you to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered worship. Thanks for joining us, and we hope that you are blessed by today's message from Pastor Matt Johnson as he takes us through the book of Genesis, verse by verse. All right, well, we are in Genesis chapter 40 and 41 today. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been in kind of the final push to finish up Genesis. Uh, we are doing like a four-week series basically on Joseph, the life of Joseph. And so I'll just kind of go over a couple of things just to kind of give you going in the same direction as everybody else in case you walked in today and you haven't been here. In chapter 37, we saw that Joseph was a dreamer. He had no restraint with his words, and so he became a very disliked brother uh, for the other 11 siblings that he had. They hated him so much that when he was going to check on them, they began to plan and plot to kill him. Now, certainly they wouldn't kill him, right, because that's their brother, so they didn't do that. They sold him into slavery instead. And so uh, Joseph would be sold into slavery. He would end up in Potiphar's house where he would eventually rise to the top where he would be in charge of everything, where Potiphar wouldn't think about anything he was going to do except whether he was going to eat a turkey sandwich or go to Taco Villa. It was just one of the two. And so Potiphar was, or, or Potiphar's house was well taken care of. Joseph was doing his thing. But then opposition comes. Potiphar's wife says sex now. And she says it twice, two different times. Eventually, when Joseph is running away from her because he didn't have anything to do with it, she grabbed his coat And at that point, she had evidence to hold against him, and he would be thrown into prison for false accusations. And that's where we're going to pick up here now in chapter 40. It says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain, the guard. In the same prison where Joseph, where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Now, Joseph, remember, if you might remember this from last week, was put in charge of the prison too. You remember everywhere Joseph would go to get better because he was there and God was with him? Well, here's one of the situations where Joseph's put in charge. And when I see the word attended, I think about servant, being a servant to him. I mean, take care of them, check on them. Maybe what servant leadership looks like in a church or a business, that's what Joseph is doing here. Now, after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Verse six, it says, when Joseph came to them in the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Now, if you were with us last week, you might remember a story that I told about whining to Elisa and Elisa saying she was sorry for not inviting my friends to my pity party. You remember that? And so if Joseph would have been having a pity party and kind of living his life that way, guess what he wouldn't have done? He wouldn't have noticed that their face was down. He wouldn't have noticed that from one day to the next that something was different. But that's not what he does. Joseph has his face up. He's not whining. He's doing the things that he can do. And he notices that the baker and the cupbearer, that something's different with them. Now, I just have a little note in here that I'll read it to you. You can write it down if you want. But when both their eyes are on us, it's impossible to see anybody else. Let's go to verse 8. We both had dreams, they answered. 
but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, I love that. Joseph gives credit where credit's due. It's not the only time he's going to do that. We'll see that here in just a minute. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. Verse 12, it says, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, Joseph gives a favorable interpretation of the dream for the cupbearer. So can you imagine what the baker's thinking right now? The baker is listening to it. I can just imagine him sitting there going, like, this is amazing. I can't wait for you to tell mine. He's just wanting him to hurry up. And I kind of have this picture in my head of like the Blake Shelton going, pick me, pick me. And I'm next, right? I want to be next. And so uh, sometimes we get what we ask for. And so he's going to interpret his dream as well. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, He said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Verse 18, it says, this is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Disappointing, I would say. Verse 20, it now says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. Now, I, can, I don't remember the Bible mentioning birthdays any other time, but maybe it does. But it says it's his birthday. Don't we love our birthday? I mean, everybody loves their birthday. You, you wake up, maybe you get a text message for somebody. Maybe people are putting stuff on Facebook. Maybe somebody gives you a cupcake that day. Everything just seems better on your birthday, right? Well, Pharaoh's like that too. It's his birthday, and so he gave a feast for all the officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief bearer and the, cup ba- and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impelled the ba- chief baker just as Joseph has said to them in his interpretation. If something's from God, it's going to happen every single time. You know, there are tons of prophecies in the Bible and every single one of them already have been fulfilled or will be fulfilled without a shadow of a doubt. Every single one of them. With that said, let's continue on. Verse 23, it says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Hmm. Let me tell you a story. A couple of years after Lisa and I got married, I was at the dentist and they, oops, shouldn't do that, I guess. Uh, they told me that I was, I need to get my wisdom teeth out. And so if, if you've done that before, it's not pleasant, right? They told me there was some special concerns with mine because I had a nerve that was really close to the tooth over on, I think, this side, that if they were to hit that, I could have facial paralysis. 
And so I'm like, okay, that's concerning. Well, they send me to this oral surgeon, and I go in, and I get my, my teeth out. And, and everything, as far as I know, went fine. When I'm in there, they give me some, some type of drug. It's, I think it's called Versed. Y'all know what that is? It's also called Elisa's Comedy Time because that's what she likes. Uh, so uh, I, I get my teeth out. I'm on Versed. She's taking me away from there. And I don't know. I'm just thinking, looking back on this now. I'm thinking like, I don't know why we did what we did. But we had to go to the bank after that. And so we didn't go in. She stayed, we were in the, the drive-thru, and I just remember embarrassing myself and my family and future generations as I was, I was yelling out, somebody stole my wallet, right? And yeah, and nobody stole my wallet, but I guess on Versed, anything's possible. So I'm saying these things. Eventually, she gets me home, and I mean, she wanted to document these things as well, and so she didn't have the, the phones back then. They didn't record uh, like they do now, and so she had to go to a, extreme measures to get out a camcorder and begin to record things so the neighbors could see it, and so I'm sitting in the chair. She's recording me, and my little dog jumps up in my lap. And it was a little uh, three or four pound Pomeranian. Her name was Ashley. She was precious. And, but I'm sitting there and that little dog starts licking me all in the face. Nobody's stopping her, by the way. And not me. I'm kind of out of it. And nobody else. They think it's funny. Well, so uh, I remember saying this to Elisa, though. I can remember this part. I go, hey, babe. She goes, yeah. I said, will you go to Waterburger and give me a, a milkshake? <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, okay, okay, I'll do that. And so she's about to walk out the door and something hits me. I go, hey, hey, babe. Uh-huh. I said, what do they say about that nerve in my face? Is it going to be okay? She stands there and she goes, I don't know. I remember looking at my little dog and go, she didn't even ask, right? Come on. This is important stuff. This is my face here. And she didn't even ask. You know, some things matter. They do you know, I, I, I forget all kinds of stuff. In fact, I, I, if you've been around me this week, you've, you're, uh, you're well aware that I'm forgetting all kinds of stuff right now in my life. I don't know why. But I was remembering that there's times during the year it's even worse. During football season, sometimes Elisa will be going somewhere, maybe on a Saturday, and she'll go, hey, hey, Matt, whenever I'm gone, will you move the clothes from the washer to the dryer? I go, absolutely. Then she goes, I watch a ball game, and I'm consumed. And then what happens is the garage door comes back up, and all of a sudden it hits me, ah, I forgot, right? And I run in there, I'm moving them in there, I'm doing my best. But guess what? Some things matter, and some things really just aren't that big a deal. This one's a big deal. The cupbearer forgot about Joseph, and Joseph sitting in prison for something he didn't do. We have a tendency to remember the things that benefit us, and that's how it worked right here as well. Let's go to verse, uh, chapter 41. It says, when two full years had passed. Now, can you imagine two more years and what Joseph might have been thinking? Maybe he would recall those dreams that he had at the very beginning uh, in chapter 37. And thinking like, God, I guess those things aren't going to come true. Or maybe he would sit there and just think, man, God, is this really what you have for me? But what we know is two years had passed and Pharaoh had a dream too. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat. And they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the uh, seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. I bet he did. Verse 5. 
He fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. Now in the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Now, they weren't any help. I got a little story. I was given this uh, sermon series several years ago when we were going through Joseph. And around that time, I'd gone to my first escape room. And just to let you know, I'm not very good at them. I'm, like, I'm not wired, really wired for escape rooms. I'm wired to go in there, look under a few things, and go, key's not here, and just wait, right? And so if it's an escape room that says an hour, or maybe like an hour and 20 minutes, whatever it is, I just plan on being there the whole time. It is. Now, I'm not going to be a lot of help in there unless they're saying, hey, like, dig a hole right here, and I'll do it. So, but I'll do it anyway. Some people are more help than others. Right here, Pharaoh goes to the people he had trusted for a long time, and maybe they didn't have any expertise in escape rooms, but they always did something for him. The magicians and the wise men were people they counted on for things like this, but they were no help. And I kind of appreciate it because when you read the book of Daniel, you see theirs, man, they would lie about it. And right here, they're not lying. They just they can't do anything about it. But then, verse 9 happens. The chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today... I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. In verse 13, it says, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them uh, to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impelled. Now, how convenient it is now to remember. Remember what I said? We remember things that benefit us. I bet it did then, too, for him. Verse 14, it says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and, and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret him. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. In verse 16, he says, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I love that Joseph, again, gives credit where credit is due. Too many times we take credit for things that aren't something that we can do on our own. In fact, God is the one that's doing all this. From the very beginning, we could see God's hand moving. The, the providence of God is at work. And Joseph never lost sight of that. Maybe that's how he can uh, be able to walk in a situation, whether it be Pharaoh's house, whether it be the prison, and it be a better place because he's there and God's with him. It's because he remembers who's with him and who's ultimately in charge. Verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. And he's going to tell him the rest of that dream. Then he repeats the second dream. I'm not going to read it to you again. We get to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Verse 28, it says, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Now, when you... When you see things in the Bible that are repeated over and over again, it's an emphasis. It's an emphasis. That's what Joseph's saying here too. Now, we're gonna see what happens. Verse 33, I know there's a lot of reading today. It's your favorite week when I read a lot. Um, But a lot in this story. Verse 33, it says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Now let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that they, that the coming, I'm gonna go back. They should collect all the, uh, these good years uh, that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities uh, for food. This food should be held in uh, reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Now, uh, what he's telling him to do is just wisdom, isn't it? If you know that there's trouble ahead, you set back something. This is good advice for our families. This is good advice for our churches. This is good advice for businesses. It's just good advice. You know, um, Churches have a tendency not to do this. Churches have a tendency to do what's called faith budgeting. You probably don't even know what that term is. Faith budgeting is where maybe your church brought in $500,000 last year. And you're believing in faith that God's going to increase that number. And so you make your budget $600,000. And so throughout the year, you're, you're trying like crazy to make everything meet. And at the end, I man, you're just scratching and begging and pleading so that it does. And I've been a part of churches that do that. And I've been around churches that do. Man, it is hard. And sometimes it's frustrating. And sometimes it's hard on the congregation. And there's times you come in and you go, hey, I know you're already gay, but dig a little bit deeper, right? You give them one of those. We don't do that here. But instead, we create some margin. And the best things in life happen in margin. So let's just say that our, our church, I'm just using the same numbers. We bring in $500,000 a year. Well, we would, we would budget about 70% of that. That's what we've done in the past. The margin that we have left, we're able to do ministries. Maybe we're abs- able to bless somebody. We're able to, to be flexible and agile to, to make moves. And we're not coming to you every single week and going, dig a little bit deeper for that stuff. We don't do it. And there's value in having margin. In your family, you got to see the same thing. You have a tire that, that blows out on your way to church. It shouldn't be devastating because you have margin in your budget. You set it aside. 
So when something happens, you can take care of things. The best things in life happen in that margin. It'll be how you bless your neighbor. It'll be how you take your kids on vacation. It's just wisdom. And we should always do stuff like that. Now, Pharaoh likes what he hears. And so um, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. It's an amazing story. Somebody goes from a pit to a palace, being second in charge of, of a great nation. Only God could do something like that. He continues on, and so Pharaoh said to Joseph, he says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh put his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put gold chain around his neck. I always say that he became the, the first rapper, maybe not. And so this happens to also be the third coat that's mentioned with Joseph. I think that's interesting. But I love how it just turns out from pit to palace. But I want you to know what I found out is saying pit to palace and sometimes seeing in the scripture the way we do, that there's some danger in it. If you guys want to stand, I just really have one more story. A number of years ago when I first started preaching, maybe I had five or six messages under my belt, something like that. The church I was at, they already figured me out. They knew that I was going to navigate scripture. They knew that at the end, I'm going to have somebody playing the keys and I'm going to kind of get loud and yell at them about one point. They, they knew it. And, and I love doing that. I love to do what we call the crescendo. And uh, the reason why we do that is because, man, when you walk out of here, I just want to drive home one point that maybe just penetrates your, soul, your heart so much that you'll never forget it. I love it. Well, I'm giving this message. I don't know what it was on, but one of my friends in the congregation would tell me a little story about it the next few days afterwards. And they said they got up during the middle of my message and they were going to the bathroom. And there was somebody sitting outside the bathroom and they were just walking by and they're fixing to go to the bathroom and they go, hey, you gonna go inside? And they go, ah, yeah, I'll get in there later. They go, hey, Matt's preaching there. He goes, yeah, I know. He said, I'll go in at the end when the music's playing. That's when the good stuff is anyway. When I heard that, it just got under my skin. I was thinking, really? That's the only time the good stuff is? I mean, there's good stuff in the whole thing. Man, we're going through the word of God. But isn't it just how we are, man? We just kind of focus on what we want to focus on, and we just kind of primarily go, man, just get me to the end of something, and I'll be okay. I remember one time I was in this situation where I just couldn't wait to wait on something and I was on an airplane. I went to Mexico on a mission trip 
And we had landed in Mexico City and they had already said I could get out the electronics because I just couldn't wait to get on electronics. And so I got out my phone and I, I was watching Texas play a football game. Pretty amazing, right? I'm in Mexico on the, on the runway or whatever it's called when, when I'm just there in the plane and I'm watching the game, but it kept buffering. And as it was buffering, I was like losing my mind on the airplane. Like, stop it! Can we do something here? Right? I mean, I wasn't like missing the game. It was just going slow. Isn't that how we are? I just want to get it right now. The way I want it. Even our fast food places have changed over the years. If you notice this, go to Chick-fil-A. They don't even do one line anymore. They do two <laughs> just to get you in faster. We always wanted how we wanted. Give me, give me the goal. Give me the dessert. Give me my food. Give me my game. Give me whatever I want. And the danger is, is we just think it's all about the end goal. You see, the problem is when we just focus on the end, that there might be something in the beginning that you might need when you get there. And did you know that there's a middle journey too? In that middle journey, there's a lot of pain, there's suffering, a heartbreak, but guess what? There's a lot of growth right there in the middle. And so when we look at, we open the Bible and we go, boom, boom, pit the palace, pit the palace. Man, it takes like two pages. But it takes 13 years. If we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll discount the journey. If you walked in today and you're struggling, maybe you're in the pit and you're praying that you'll get to that end and man, we want you to. In fact, we want to walk with you through it. But if you're somebody in here today that's actually walked through some of that, what you know already that they don't know is that there, that there is a blessing in the middle. There is a blessing in embracing the journey every step of the way, through every conversation, through every prayer, through every tear, to where you finally get to the end. You can look back and see how God, good God is. Let's not discount the journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and grace as always. Lord, I never know what people are walking in with. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we'll be content right where we are allowing you to move in our life at the pace you need to, leaving the outcome to you. I pray, Lord, that we're, we're able to understand the growth that can happen in the middle of a season, in the middle of a journey, how we can draw close to you, how we can heal, and we slow down enough to know that it matters. From pit to palace is a beautiful story. And ultimately, it's our story. Give us the heart to stick in the journey as you've called us to. We love and praise your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you enjoyed this message, there's a couple things we'd love you to do. Go to your favorite podcast catcher and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Doing that helps get the word out. And don't forget that you can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or our website, theloft.church. Thanks again for joining us on The Loft Church's weekly podcast. Remember, it's not about you and me. It's about a Savior named Jesus. Go make Him famous.